Hey, it's your host, Shannon Ballard. I want to say a special thanks and welcome to our newest Southern Mysteries patrons. Stacy from Penfield, Illinois, Katie from Knoxville, Tennessee, and Tara from St. Peter's, Missouri. They're catching up on members-only bonus episodes of the show that you can hear, too, when you join me on Patreon. Learn more and join today at patreon.com slash southernmysteries. Nineteen sixty-three was a pivotal year in U.S. history. There was America's early involvement in the Vietnam War, the assassination of President Kennedy, and the historic Civil Rights March on Washington for jobs and freedom. In August nineteen sixty-three, more than two hundred and fifty thousand people gathered in front of the Lincoln Memorial and heard Martin Luther King Jr.'s iconic "I Have a Dream" speech. As Dr. King stood on the steps of that memorial and his passionate cry for justice echoed across the country, Americans were unaware that 15 children were being held in an old Civil War stockade in Leesburg, Georgia. These 15 girls between the ages of 12 and 15 were held in that stockade for demonstrating for integration in the Deep South. For weeks, no one knew where they were or if they were alive. They just disappeared. Welcome to Southern Mysteries, exploring history and mysteries of the American South. I'm your host, Shannon Ballard, and this is the story of the Leesburg Stockade Stolen Girls. On December 16, 1961, Martin Luther King Jr. was arrested for protesting racial segregation in Albany, Georgia. Dr. King's arrest helped galvanize organizers in nearby Sumter County to form community partnerships and organize with local activists, the NAACP, and the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee to establish the Sumter County Movement. Now, the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, known as SNCC, was a civil rights group that worked to give younger Black people a greater voice in the movement. Made up of largely preteen and teenage students, SNCC members passionately and courageously challenged segregation. In 1963, John Lewis, a young civil rights activist and founding member of SNCC, was elected chairman of the organization whose members played a key role in freedom rides organized to desegregate buses, coordinate marches in the early 1960s with Martin Luther King Jr. and the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, and played key roles in voter registration drives across the South. Their tireless work to end segregation in the Jim Crow South would take its toll on many of them. Some paid the ultimate price. Three members of SNCC were murdered by the Ku Klux Klan when they helped organize voter registration drives during the Mississippi Freedom Summer of 1964. Many members were beaten and imprisoned. A SNCC member, Julian Bond, wrote of those days, Black people had no rights that whites felt bound to obey. You expected every outrage, and the worst that could happen would happen. For 15 young girls in Georgia, 
the worst did happen, and they became trapped in a nightmare for 45 days. In early 1963, SNCC organizers expanded their work throughout southwest Georgia and in February began to focus their work in the Sumter County seat of Americus. The farming town was home to 15,000 people with peanuts and pecan processing plants, a railroad, and two separate and distinctly unequal worlds. Americus was rather typical in its Jim Crow establishment of segregated white and black school systems, water fountains, restrooms, and diners. Everywhere around town, you saw white-only or colored signs that boldly proclaimed this town's white supremacy. There had been an organized movement and protest against segregation in nearby Albany, and by the summer of 1963, Local leaders in Sumter County, along with SNCC and NAACP, felt the time was right to organize in Americus. The Sumter County movement launched a voter registration campaign, while SNCC organized high school students to protest and defy segregation with sit-ins, picket lines, and marches at the segregated library, movie theater, and bus station. More than 100 protesters were arrested early on, which only served to inspire more young people to join the movement following mass meetings held in churches. It was here people of all ages learned of the organized movement that was planned throughout Sumter County, and many of those were inspired to join in that cry for integration were teenagers who wanted to take part in bringing about change. There were marches at least once a week and every weekend, and some students were sneaking out of their house to participate. The police response to these protests had been violent, and many of the teens who took part knew their parents were concerned for their safety, but they felt the cause was worth the risk. The main target of protest was the segregated Martin Movie Theater, where a small group of activists organized a protest in early July 1963 with about 10 people marching to protest segregation. Within a week, this small group grew to about 250, with the rest of the mostly teenage protesters common. And those arrests of young people, it's very common in the South at this time. But there was a cause for concern in Americus because the local police chief, Ross Chambliss called in Sumter County Sheriff Fred Chappell to aid in the arrest and the response to the protesters. Martin Luther King Jr. called Sheriff Chappell the meanest man in the world after he had spent time in Americus in 1961. Chappell was a self-proclaimed and proud racist who often attacked and beat black people who entered the county courthouse to register to vote. In late July 1963, a small march made up of mostly 12 to 15-year-old girls approached downtown Americus for a peaceful march in front of that segregated movie theater. Sheriff Fred Chappell and his men, along with police dogs, Klansmen, and men standing at the ready with fire hoses, met these children on the streets of Americus. 
Some of the girls walked up to the counter to try to buy movie tickets, but were told to leave because they were black and they weren't allowed. Sheriff Chapel ordered the young protesters to disperse. They responded by kneeling down on the sidewalk to pray. As these children prayed, the mob attacked with law enforcement using clubs to beat them. High pressure water from the fire hoses was used to push them off the streets where they had been kneeling in prayer. Children as young as 12 were beaten and bloody when they were arrested for marching and demonstrating for integration. Many of the young girls who had taken part in the movie theater protest had done so without their parents' knowledge, which meant when they didn't come home and parents learned their girls had been downtown protesting, they had to go looking for answers as to where the girls were and how long they would be in jail. Now, they were initially told the girls were taken to the Dawson Jail, about 25 miles from Americus, due to the overflow of protesters jailed in Sumter County. The girls did spend one night in the Dawson Jail, but they were not released. Sheriff Chapel brought in a paddy wagon and ordered that 15 of the girls be transported to the old Leesburg Stockade in neighboring Lee County. The stockade, about 20 miles south of Americus, had been used to imprison soldiers during the Civil War. But a century later, in 1963, it was the Leesburg Public Works Building, which meant it was fit for storage, but not for holding children or adults. The stolen girls were never formally charged. They never stood before a judge they were denied due process. This meant as far as the system was concerned, there was no record of where they were. They just disappeared. Their parents were distraught as they waited and desperately tried to get answers. For weeks, they had no idea their girls were in the Leesburg stockade or the deplorable conditions they were enduring. These 15 girls were held in the remote structure that was about the size of two small shipping containers. This small white building in a remote area surrounded by woods was filthy. Bars covered the windows, but most of the glass was broken, which meant the building was filled with bugs. This was Georgia in the summer, which meant oppressive heat beat down on the building and made things inside worse for the girls. The stockade had one toilet that wouldn't flush. There was a shower head on the wall, but it only offered a tiny trickle of water, and there was no soap. The girls were forced to sleep on cement floors, and day after day, they felt those walls closing in on them as they had no way to clean themselves no word on when their imprisonment would end, and no word from their family. The one guard who stood watch outside threw dead rattlesnakes into the stockade and told the girls that they wouldn't know when, but one day he would take them out of the stockade one by one and kill them. A grown man threatening 12, 
13, 14, and 15-year-old girls. A local dog catcher would deliver food a couple of times a day, but the food delivered was rancid egg sandwiches and rare hamburgers. One of the girls said she reminded her friends to only eat the edges of the bread and the meat that was cooked to avoid food poisoning, which would have only made conditions worse. That dog catcher eventually broke down and went to the parents of a few of the girls to inform them of their location. But he reminded them to stay away. Going there could prove dangerous for their parents and get them killed. There was nothing they could do to free the girls because they were jailed under the order of Sheriff Chapel until he or some power above him agreed to free them the girls would have to remain in the stockade. As days turned into weeks, the girls were especially concerned about 15-year-old Verna Hollis, who was so sick that when she attempted to eat food, she couldn't keep anything down. She was noticeably weak, and the girls were worried. Verna didn't know at the time she was jailed that she was pregnant. Some of the stolen girls would later say Verna didn't complain about being sick and tried to put on a brave face. And the fact that none of them could figure out what was wrong with her, well, it was just a reminder. They were all children. Lulu Westbrook was one of the girls in the Leesburg Stockade. She said she had joined the group through her church and knew there was a chance she could be arrested, maybe spend a night or two in jail. She never imagined she would end up in a stockade in the middle of nowhere because she took part in a peaceful protest. That protest cost 15 girls nearly two months of their freedom. And it cost other girls time as well. We know 15 girls remained jailed in the stockade for close to two months but as many as 33 girls would spend time in that stockade over the course of the summer of 1963. And that's because protests continued during the Sumter County movement. Now the details around this have always been murky, but it's believed the other girls' families had money and connections that helped them gain early release. For the 15 stolen girls who endured most of the summer of 1963 in that stockade, they did their best to fill their days singing freedom songs, talking of home, praying, and sleeping. The monotony felt unbearable some days, but the girls kept telling themselves they had done the right thing, an important thing when they protested segregation even if it did mean they were stuck in that stockade. Carolyn DeLoach was one of the stolen girls. She said her time in the stockade felt unbearable some days, but it was made bearable because all the girls were together. She said, we were all demonstrating and we wanted people to know that we wanted to be free. The stolen girls were a part of something big something they could not see from that jail cell. During that summer alone, an estimated 15,000 young black protesters 
were arrested across the South. Hundreds had been arrested in Sumter County before the girls were placed in the stockade, and more were arrested each week. This Americus movement was a significant movement in the civil rights era because of the number of young people who were arrested and incarcerated. A majority of them were just like the stolen girls, between the ages of 12 to 15. And in Sumter County, Sheriff Chapel kept these children, these protesters, behind bars for longer lengths of time than any other city in Georgia with similar movements. For the girls in the Leesburg stockade, their situation was calls for concern for SNCC members and local activist groups in Americas because as the movement was gaining traction, their resources were limited. And on August 8th, they found themselves facing a legal battle that captured nationwide attention. The arrest of four men known as the Americas Four and the subsequent legal battle for their release further angered Sheriff Chapel that August and fueled his refusal to publicly reveal the girl's location or set them free. SNCC field workers, Ralph Allen, Don Harris, and John Perdue had relocated to Sumter County in February 1963 to help launch voter registration drives and organize mass meetings and marches for integration. Sheriff Chapel and other white leaders in Sumter County viewed these young men as the key troublemakers. To suppress their work, try to put an end to freedom marches, the three men, along with Congress for Racial Equality worker Zev Alani, were arrested and charged with insurrection. Under Georgia's 1871 Anti-Treason Act, these charges carried the death penalty. Unlike the arrest of the stolen girls, the arrest of these four young men made national news because three of them were white and charged for insurrection in the Deep South. This drove a lot of media attention and became a controversial issue. The Americas Four were held in jail for 87 days. They were ultimately freed in November 1963 after a federal panel of judges ruled the insurrection law unconstitutional. Which brings us back to the Stolen Girls. SNCC wanted to find a way to free them, but they had limited resources at the time, and they were spread so thin. They had sent organizers to focus on groups in Mississippi, and the rest of their Georgia group were focused on freeing the Americas Four. By late August, members from SNCC Atlanta were able to connect with the girls' family and confirm their location. But as the stolen girls' parents knew, locating them didn't mean freeing them. All some of the parents had been able to do for weeks was occasionally sneak up to the back of the building to pass fresh clothes and a little food in for them. SNCC knew they had to come up with a way to show the severity of injustice. They had to show that 15 girls had been stolen from their families denied due process, and were forced to live in horrible conditions in a run-down building in the middle of nowhere in Georgia. 
they came up with a plan that two of their white volunteers would drive to the Leesburg stockade, and one of them would be someone who could reveal the truth to the world, a volunteer photographer named Danny Lyon. Lyon was the official photographer for the region. A local activist drove him to the stockade property and distracted the guard. And Danny was able to sneak around to the back of the building where he saw the girls through the bars on the windows. Now, considering their circumstances, what they had been through, seeing a white man suddenly standing on the other side of this window didn't immediately put them at ease. They asked who he was, were very hesitant, and Danny said his name. And he said, freedom, which was the code word for the civil rights movement. Danny Lyon took about 20 photos in the 15 minutes he was able to stand outside of that stockade. The images showed the filthy conditions inside, the broken toilets, girls sleeping on cement floors. A few of the photos show some of the girls smiling because they wanted him to show their moms they were okay. The one photo that captured the attention of black press nationwide was of the 15 girls standing in that stockade in Leesburg. You see in their faces how tired they are, how worn down. But you also see in these girls determination and courage. SNCC printed the photos in their Student Voice newsletter, and the images were picked up by Jet and other black papers. On September 14th, the images made the front page of the country's most influential black weekly newspaper, the Chicago Defender. The headline read, Girls Sleeping on Jail Floor, America's Hellhole for Many. The movement quickly organized and formally requested some of the images be entered into the congressional record. With the help of New Jersey Senator Harrison Williams, that request was honored, and the publicity of the stolen girls' situation was the pressure needed to finally set them free. The images were sent to Attorney General Robert Kennedy, and soon calls were made, and the girls were taken back to Americas and told they were free to go home. After 45 days in the Leesburg stockade, the girls were released on a Friday in mid-September. They were never charged with a crime, but upon their release, each of their parents were ordered by Sumter County to pay a $2 boarding fee for the use of the stockade as their holding cell. Freed on a Friday, the girls were told they had to be back in class on Monday. No one asked where they had been or what had happened. It was something no one talked about. And from that moment on, all of these girls remained silent about what happened in the stockade for over 40 years. They just sort of shut off that part of their life and moved on. Some remained in Americas and some moved away. There were rays of hope in the months after their release. Verna Hollis, the young girl who was pregnant during her imprisonment in the stockade, had a healthy baby boy. And some of the girls who remained in town 
continued to join in marches throughout the civil rights movement. For the Stolen Girls, time passed, but the pain of what they endured in the Leesburg stockade never really has. Some of the women say that now in their 60s and 70s, they still have to sleep with lights on at nights because they're scared of the darkness. During an interview with StoryCorps, one of the women said that just getting into the elevator to go to the studio a few floors up made her feel anxious because she was in a small, enclosed space. It still felt hard to breathe some days, nearly five decades on. Most of the women agreed that opening up to tell their story a few years ago was hard, but it helped. And what happened to them in 1963 has been a big motivator in living lives that help others. In fact, Emmerine Streeter told Georgia Public Radio that she realized not talking about what had happened to them hurt her, which is why she became a guidance counselor to help children and help herself. It's why the eight women who are still living tell their story. They want children to know they have a voice and can make a difference. As Stolen Girl Lulu Westbrook said, we took a stand for justice and dignity. And I'm proud of what we accomplished, knocking down those ugly walls of segregation. Southern Mysteries is created and hosted by me, Shannon Ballard. The story of the Stolen Girls of the Leesburg Stockade has gained more and more attention over the past decade, with many calling for the stockade to be turned into a historical landmark in Georgia. That's yet to be decided. But a group of high schoolers in Americas worked with the Georgia Historical Society to recognize the Stolen Girls by placing an historical marker at the stockade. The marker commemorates the spirit and sacrifice the girls showed during the summer of 1963. You can view photos of the Stolen Girls and more about these brave women at southernmysteries.com. If you enjoy Southern Mysteries and the stories I have the honor of sharing on this show, I hope you'll help me tell more by supporting Southern Mysteries on Patreon. This is an independent show with a staff of one, it's me, and as the show has grown, I remain committed to not interrupting the story with advertising, which is why I need your support. When you become a patron, you get access to monthly bonus episodes called Southern Mysteries Shorts. There's a link to learn more and sign up on the show website, or you can head straight to patreon.com slash southernmysteries. Thanks for your support. And remember, another way to support the show is to rate and leave a review where you're listening now and tap that follow button so you never miss a new episode. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks for listening.